Welcome to Lucid, the Radical Generosity Podcast. I'm Meg. I'm Sindolo. And you are listening to our very first episode. We are so excited that you're here to listen. And we want to spend a little bit of time before dropping into the larger conversation telling you about this project and our hopes and the traditions that we see it being part of and the tiniest bit about who we are. So I'm Meg. I have been doing social justice education and training and kind of in that world of leftist social justice work for close to 15 years now. And that's kind of where I enter this conversation from. Hey, y'all. I'm Sindolo. And I come out of community organizing as well as electoral organizing, also kind of 15 years of doing that work and developing leaders in the context of yeah, trying to navigate both our kind of radical visions and the practical, pragmatic context that we're in and how do we wrestle with those two things. That's the place that I come from. Awesome. And you might have guessed by the title, the Radical Generosity Podcast, that for us, we have this belief that generosity can be a radical and powerful stance for doing leftist organizing, doing change work, doing education, and that the conversations we've been having with each other are really nourishing and vibrant to us. And we decided we wanted to share them um, with you, both because it's something that we feel we want to contribute, but also because we want to see more voices having these types of conversations with each other and very much see it as like both something that's like not happening as much as we want and and conversations that are kind of happening quietly, but also it's part of this like long tradition of political organizing, speakers, artists, activists, educators um, that have also been having these conversations for, for decades or more. Cornell West has this amazing phrase that he'll say, revolutionary piety is recognizing the sources of good in our lives, recognizing the wind at our backs. And that this sense of gratitude of like looking back to be like, what is the lineage that is the source of strength for me to take a stance that popularity would say isn't the right stance to take? And that's what tradition makes possible. And so this podcast is a deep appreciation of that tradition and the kind of watering of it for this moment. And it's a tradition of folks like James Baldwin. It's a tradition of people who have both deep anger and outrage about what's going on, and that that's rooted in an even deeper love and tenderness about our world and about each other, and not seeing those two things as canceling each other out, but as strengthening one another. And it's a tradition that movements, for me in this country, the Black Freedom Movement is such a powerful example, but it is a tradition that has blossomed all over the world and we'll get into over the course of our episodes, uh, examples and conversations and cross-pollinations between what was happening with the Gandhian movement 
how did that emerge and get connected in South Africa and then hop over and be doing something with Black folks in the Jim Crow South, right? That tradition globally, how does it move? How does it express itself in folks like Valerie Kaur um, in our contemporary movement and moments uh, in terms of social justice? So uh, there's both the old and the new in terms of what we're trying to do here around generosity. Yeah. And I think like, uh, both being queer people, I, I just want to shout out like the current people, you know, that I point people to all the time, like Alok, who is continuously bringing people back to generosity is both for others and for ourselves, right? Compassion is not just a stance of like extension and giving people a grace or giving people a break, but it is also one of the most like uh, radical things we can do for our own lives and for our own spirits and souls. And to me, I think that um, that's something that I have felt very deeply and yet been sometimes reticent to name because it feels countercultural or unspoken or just unpopular to take that perspective. And I think one of my hopes with this is that other people can hear this and go, yes, like that, okay, okay, other people do feel this way. Other people think this is this is both like effective and important, that this is both possible and aligned with the type of type of world we want to be making. And I think when I have found those people, I know what that has done as like a sense of relief for me and also a sense of like reinvigoration for like taking radical stances um, in this kind of generous approach. And so I, I would love to be able to offer that space of like returning to these conversations, returning to this kind of um, mindset and, and stories and tradition, being able to offer that and be part of that feels really special. So this is the Lucid podcast. And uh, one of the definitions of Lucid is suffused with light or clear understanding or having full use of one faculties. And our hope is that this podcast will be that for us and for you, for all of us together, uh, as this space where we get filled up with that kind of light, as a space where we get clarity about what it means to take this stance in this moment, and uh, a place where we can have full use of the full range of power and possibilities that we're capable of. So we've been having these conversations for months and many of those conversations are very long. And what we have learned from doing those is that there are, there's often like a piece in there that is like really good and like distills a lot of what we want to communicate. And rather than giving you the full winding journey of how we got there, we're actually in this episode going to drop you right into the middle of one of those conversations. And it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to just like drop in, but we think you'll be able to pick it up no problem. And that's what you're going to hear in just a minute. We're going to, we're going to drop you right into the middle of one of our conversations. So enjoy. Thanks for listening. Being in the work of the political, meaning not being just in the space of those who already agree. That work 
is considered uh, unfair labor. I shouldn't have to, as a queer person, do A, B, C, X, Y, Z. Um, I shouldn't have to as fill in the blank about what the identity is. And I think that belief was originally developed as a protective mechanism to be like, I don't want to feel obliged. I don't want to feel like when I am depleted and exhausted, I just have to keep doing these things and I can't go to my maroon space. Um, sometimes we need to leave the coalitional space, leave the space of fighting for society as a whole and go to our elsewhere. Um, but the idea that the kind of work that happens in coalition space or the kind of work that happens in the broad political stuff uh, takes something away from us mm -hmm. is inherently bad and that privileged people <clears throat> uh, are living it up because they don't have to do that work, I, I think is a creates this sense, this experience, this way of being in the world that <clears throat> the whole world is against me. And the only place I can live fully is in these protected spaces. And I am very inspired by essentially like heroic stories. They're both heroic and tragic, but this sense that like everyone is capable of living heroically and living heroically means you dive into the contradiction rather than spending your life running from the difficult things, dodging them, trying to minimize them. You're like, yup, it sucks. I'm gonna grab it by the horns. And that's not just the like, oh God, I guess I have to do this thing. It's actually the means by which uh, incredible capacities can emerge. And to me, this is related to the spiritual stuff we were talking about before. Um, that there are capacities, powers, resources that start to flow when we take on incredible odds and obstacles and aspects of the human being, uh, resources that come from our people and our ancestry and our culture can start to flow when we really are willing to go to the heart of conflict. And this story that oppressed people should be able to uh, avoid conflict for the rest of their life because society is fucked up, I think uh, tells a story. It's not just a story about oppression and liberation. It is also a deeply American story that difficulty, strife, and struggle are something that can and should be gotten rid of. And that what the good life is, is freedom from all difficulty. And we have this fantasy that that's what white people have, or that's what men have, or that's what rich people have. Instead of being like, actually, what whiteness, uh, uh, capitalist wealth, uh, patriarchy try to do is to create a world without difficulty for the people with the privilege. That's what those systems are about. And not only does that not uh, not only does that create harm for the oppressed people, it actually will never save the so-called privileged people from difficulty. It will just change which difficulties they have and create a society of people constantly afraid 
and constantly willing to use violence to try to protect themselves in these ridiculous ways, rather than being like, what would happen if we built the capacity to be courageous, to act anyway in the face of difficulty and fear, and that that can bring forward incredibly admirable things, uh, not just out of oppressed people, but out of all human beings. That's a different way of living. I find that very compelling. And I think a lot of movement culture says, well, why we shouldn't have to be heroes. And I'm like, okay, cool girl, but I kind of want to be a hero. Like that sounds like a cool way of living. And if there are resources, if I can get the maroon space, if I can get training in a heroic way of life, why the fuck not? Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> I don't know. Part of me is like, I don't want to just end it right there and just be like, that's it. Boom, <laughs> doom. But I just, so I'll just like slow us down and like go us back, go yeah. go back and like um, look, look luxuriate in what you said. Um, I think that um, there's a couple of different things that have come up in previous conversations that I'll I just want to tie into what you've said. Like one of the things that we talked about in an earlier conversation was like a, a limiting belief um, thing, or or just like a thing that just irks me is is privilege discourse. Um, and it's because of what you were just saying of like, I don't believe that white rich men are living the good life. Mm -hmm. And what, when I say that, I don't mean like they do have better access to healthcare and they do not worry about where their next meal is coming from. They don't worry about where their kids are going to school and whether they're going to come home that afternoon. Like there are legitimate safety concerns mm -hmm. and like access points that, that I believe everyone should have. And in that limited slice, not unimportant, but just like those verticals. Yes. Mm -hmm. They are living the good life. Right. But one other countries that are far more like less uh what, like disproportionately um where resources are less disproportionately distributed know that like inordinate wealth and maleness is not necessary or whiteness is not necessary for those things to exist mm -hmm. right yep. so like let's just also establish that like that's true here because of the fucked up systems of this country that we have like made those exclusive to those identities and, and groups. But like, that's what we mean when we say privilege, but the way we use privilege discourse and talk about those things is as if the rest of the slices of life, yeah. which are to me, the spiritual, relational, emotional, um, you know, all of those types of slices of life that are not the physical safety and stability and like, uh, you know, um, access points are on, they're not living the good life. Mm -hmm. That's not uh, where most anyone I know would trade, mm -hmm. you know, 
Like, it's just not true. And, and I think that there's a real limitation when we flatten what you were saying earlier about like, there's this flattening of like what racism means. And I think there's a real flattening of what privilege means, right? Where mm -hmm. it's like, no, 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 yeah, you're right. I would like the access to healthcare and the consistent money and the, and the like safety walking home at night thing. I would like all of those things, but basically that's it. Like everything else they can, <laughs> not only can they keep, but I, I want them to have more. I would, I would like them to be more in touch with their bodies, with each other, with their emotions, with their hearts, with their spiritual desires, with developing and growing and um, evolving as humans. Mm -hmm. Because I actually think if that was true, they wouldn't be able to deal with what is happening right now. The only way that you can, I don't know, the only way you can cut down the Amazon is to just numb out a good bit, you know, like mm -hmm. there's levels of destruction that I think require a level of, um, of just being disembodied that That's like, right. I, I wouldn't wish upon anyone. So, you know, I think that that idea of the good life equals ease and those people have it is so destructive mm -hmm. not just to those of us who don't have the material and the like physical safety pieces but also to those who have those pieces and none of the emotional spiritual realm like it's destructive to to, to everybody mm -hmm. um and i think that's really really important i'm kind of working backwards through your what you were saying like the the piece of like, we shouldn't have to do this work, I think really removes agency and like empowerment. Like, I feel like there's so many times I've been in workshops where that was the end. That was the conclusion was like, and we shouldn't have to do this. And I was like, okay, but we do actually, or are, or that's the only option in front of me. So like, can you teach me how to do the thing? And they're like, it's just really fucked up that you have to do it. And I'm like, that's not a good enough offering. <laughs> like, it's just not, you know, and, and I think something that we'll, we'll get into at some point is this idea of like, how can you hold generous belief in conflict? Because actually, I think that's where transformative conflict can happen is mm -hmm. when you have the ability to curate and anchor yourself in a in a generous belief system and when i've done workshops on that i've had people say i finally feel like i have a strategy that i haven't tried before mm -hmm. or like i have something to do now that isn't just feel beaten down by the reality of having to do it could you say more because like you shared that story with me i think it was like a uh was it a trans woman who was talking with yeah. you can you share that story yeah. So there's a workshop that I run called, what do I call it these days? I call it holding space, generous approaches to navigating conflict. And we talk about like the, this, you know, this three-step strategy that I've, like, I don't know, kind of come up with about like how to, what are the, what are the beliefs that we have that, that people often bring to moments of conflict? I'll just go real quick. Like the beliefs that people have that bring, that they bring to moments of conflict oftentimes, and I think get reinforced all the time is ignorant, stupid, evil. People are ignorant. You don't know shit. Oh, you do know shit. You don't think the way I do. Well, then you're stupid. Um, oh, you're not stupid. Or I refuse to believe that this is just stupidity. Um, then you're evil. Right. And that like that kind of like escalating series of assumptions is what we do when we see somebody 
when we have a belief system and somebody dis disagrees with us or just when we're in conflict. And when I say that to people, most people are like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. And I think in the last 10 years of doing social justice education, we have gone from a lot of conversations, especially online. This is like really to me anchored online. Um, this change is that I think I used to see them start at ignorant and then move to stupid and evil. And now I think we just started evil. Mm. We just straight away, like, of just like, how can people believe X, Y, or Z? Or like, people are so stupid if they support X policy. And now we're just like, you are evil. If you voted for Trump, you are evil, right? Um, you're not ignorant. You're not stupid. We're just, we're just writing you off right up, right off the bat as evil. And that escalating series of assumptions and where we start makes it practically impossible to have like productive conflict with each other. I think especially once you get to evil, like evil is you're looking at a monster and the like mostly the appropriate way to deal with that is to, to disassociate from that person, to distance yourself or to try to like, um, I don't know, like exorcism them, you know, like mm -hmm. you're trying to like, you're literally trying to do something incredibly aggressive usually. And it's not a like, um, it's not a, it's not a relational thing at that point. So ignorant, stupid, evil. Um, and then we just talk about like, what are the different mindsets and frames that we can use that would be an kind of an alternative like to that, um, to, to ignorant, stupid, evil, which I think is what we're often offered as the way to relate to people who we disagree with. And we talk about something that you've named a bunch of times, which is like these core needs that get co-opted. So there's this theory called Glasser's choice theory. And it just posits that like there's five human core needs. Everyone's trying to get that met in healthy or in unhealthy ways. And then we kind of re-see people through that framework. And, and then we talk about what is it, if you're able to see people as trying to get core needs met, then you're able to hold a much more generous story of that person. And you can usually do some sort of like, wow, this person seems really anxious or fearful or angry or, you know, lonely or whatever it is. And, um, and that's a starting place for a conversation or a conflict that is so different from ignorant and stupid and evil. Mm -hmm. And the story that I've maybe taken five minutes to now get to is that I had, um, you know, to me, sharing this with people um, sometimes feels a little bit risky because I think that there's a fear for me that they will say like, you're, you're being too generous to people who suck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you're letting them off the hook and you're asking me to uh, the marginalized person, the person who's receiving this harm to do all this emotional labor mm -hmm. that that person would never do for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And those are the critiques that I like, go in knowing are coming to me. And, um, and I, and I, you know, kind of always have that in the background of my mind of like, are these going to come up? Are people going to feel that way? And um, there was a person at the end of a workshop who was a young trans woman who is a skateboarder. So she spends a lot of time in spaces where she is not welcome, you know, and she is not um, she received so much kind of like daily, you know, just bigotry and pushback. And, um, and I was, I was worried that she was going to be like, you were asking me to do so much emotional labor for these people who suck and who treat me like shit all the time. And instead at the end of the workshop, she was like, I'm so glad that I came to this. And I, I feel empowered that I have a strategy 
for these things. Because most of the time people, when I say this happens, they say, I'm so sorry, you have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But they don't give me something to do instead. Right. And, um, and they don't offer a, also like a mindset that allows me to feel connected to, like, I think sometimes we're offered this really unsatisfying, um, those people are assholes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is the protective shell or frame or just reality that we need to be in because that gives us protection. But I think that for some of us, I think that really starts to make us feel into the cynicism that feels like um, destructive to our humanity, right? Like this is where I fucking love Alok. Yes. To Alok is that like, Alok's like, oh, you can't make me into a hateful person. Like your hate will never, you know, in the last few years, especially Alok has like just been just shouting this from the rafters of just like, I refuse to take on your cynicism. I refuse to take on your hatred. I refuse to take on your pain. And, and I think that oftentimes that is what we're being offered is those people are assholes. And you're like, I don't want to believe that because it makes me look at so much of society as just assholes. And that feels bad to me. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it does for them. It it hurts my soul. It hurts my spirit to hold that belief. And I think that I have felt you know, sometimes that like what I'm sharing or inviting people into this belief that like, generosity can set you free in some way yeah like is actually um that like I don't know like I think I have feared and people have said like that that's the that's the soft like giving people you know off the hook like paradigm and I'm like I don't know I think it's both I think it's heroic I think it's courageous I think it is transformative and And it also feels better for me to move through the world, believing that people can change because I also would like people to hold that for me. And it's not just like a hypocritical thing, but it's also like put the energy in the world that you want to have be more in the world. You know, like I want to live in a world that has a level of like generosity and investment and love and belief in people And I can't get to that world with less of those things. Like, that's just something I believe at a fundamental level is Mm. like, if I want less skepticism, I can't be putting more skepticism into the system, you know? And if I want more love, then I can't be leading with a bunch of hate, like, or, or just like a lack of, a lack of care. And, you know, it's not, it's not in a perfectionism way, but just in a, like, if I want more of the energy in the system, then one way I can, the only way that I can guarantee that is to add my own energy into the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a story about the like courageous piece that you were talking about, but I don't, I don't want to wax poetic. If you want to jump into anything I just said. Well, you, you've heard my, uh, one of my heroes um, is Emil. Yeah, tell me about one of your heroes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Amilcar Cabral, who uh, led the uh, liberation movement for Guinea-Bissau and Cabo Verde against uh, Portuguese colonialism, in particular, fascist Portuguese colonialism. And I I wanted to share this story with what you were saying, because uh, 
one of the false polarizations I feel like it's put out there is uh, cruelty is powerful, strong, not letting the oppressor off the hook. And generosity is soft, weak, letting them off the hook. Um, we can go into a whole thing about gender and violence yeah. around that. But just just know that we understand the gender framing of those two <laughs> things. Okay, continue. Um, but you know, one of the things that really inspired me about that movement, it was an armed armed liberation movement. And one of the core principles of the of the movement was even though we are engaging in armed struggle it is decisive that we not see the Portuguese people as our enemy. And there was massive, intensive, deep political education with the folks fighting for their liberation to be like, we are fighting Portuguese fascism and Portuguese colonialism, which also is oppressing the Portuguese people because it's not rich fascist Portuguese people who are coming down here and shooting at us and are risking their lives. It's poor Portuguese peasants. And they are not benefiting from this system. And to me, that was a radical change of perspective because when I got politicized, it was like, oh yeah, the Portuguese people living it up on the backs of the people of Guinea-Bissau. And literally the leaders of this movement were like, y'all are not benefiting from this. And that did not mean that they did not take up arms. And so generosity wasn't a stance of being like, so we're just gonna be like, please stop. We wish you wouldn't. And can <laughs> we have a, a, a healing and reconciliation circle about colonialism? They were like, no, you can't keep coming here, shooting people, extracting our labor, commanding our lives. We are, we are going to say no to that. There is a powerful, profound and militant boundary that is being set. And, we are not going to then, in order to have that boundary, it is not necessary and it's not good for us to tell a story about the Portuguese people as evil, as worthy of death, right? Like that is a very, to me, inspiring and revolutionary way of seeing it that like, I am willing to engage in conflict, even in violence, but I am not willing to say that there is any human being who deserves harm and violence. I'm just saying I'm not going to go along with the violence that is already being perpetuated by colonialism. So to me, that was a really inspiring thing. And I think it matters that then it was uh, often people politicized by their experience of fighting against liberation movements in uh, the Portuguese colonies in Africa who went back to Portugal and overthrew the Portuguese dictatorship and ended the colonial relationship, right? Like that was something that was possible. And <laughs> literally the, the party leading liberation did political education with the prisoners of war. And we're like, yes! y'all, why are you down here fighting us? Like literally this makes no sense. And does that mean that people weren't enraged? Does that mean that people didn't shoot down Portuguese planes? Does that mean that they didn't kill people? No, they did those things. But I think it's a very different orientation than being like, 
the Portuguese people are evil. So to me, that like what you were saying about like what is what are the qualities, what's the world that we're trying to build? Um, and what does it look like to live that from a generous space doesn't mean that the generosity doesn't mean permissiveness. Yeah. Generosity doesn't mean going along or making the other person comfortable. Generosity starts from this place of like, that is not a monster. That is a human being who is trying to figure some stuff out just like me. And that orientation of being like, every human being is just like me is a very different thing than being like, I'm not like that. I couldn't possibly be a colonizer. I couldn't possibly be an oppressor because um, I'm not that kind of person. Now, secretly, I'm afraid that it will be revealed that I am that person. <laughs> um, that orientation is very different than a generous approach. And it's generous because it starts with this orientation of like, I am also like that. I also have the socialization and the tendencies and the urges of dictatorship, totalitarianism, dominance that Donald Trump has. Those are also in me. And yeah. but for the deep pouring in of all the people and love and traditions that have set me on this path, I too would be there. If I were born in his place, I'm not some different spirit from a different place who wouldn't become that. And it's not impossible for Sindolo to have a set of experiences that move me in that direction. And I think all the worry that people have about like, oh no, black men are starting to vote for Trump or what are we gonna do about Latine people moving to the right? It's like, there's nothing magical about people of color, y'all. Like without <laughs> having deep traditions that sustain us in a worldview of solidarity, generosity, care, justice, all of us are capable of tremendous cruelty, tremendous complicity with oppression. And having that sense of compassion is the beginning, I think, of generosity, as well as the same side of like, I know I'm also capable of change. If I think about the ways that I have been in the world before and how I am now, if people are also just like me, if I can grow up completely socialized of like being queer is the worst thing ever. And now I'm like, it is the best thing that has ever happened. Could it be <laughs> that other human beings can also <laughs> have that experience? So to me, that, that feels really important from what, from what you were saying in the last, last bit about um, uh, not seeing monsters coming from a generous place, being able to add that in the world. Um, that all connects. Okay, so that's going to do it for the first conversation and our first episode. Thank you so much for listening to Lucid. If you want to leave us thoughts, if you have comments, questions, if there's a topic you'd love to hear us get into, or if you just want to cheer us on and say, I'm excited for the next episode, we would love that. Drop us an email at generosityisradical at gmail.com. And if you want to get an email from us next time there is an episode up, you can go to generosityisradical.substack.com. That's generosityisradical.substack.com. And we'll send you an email next time that there is an episode. Thank you again for spending your time and thank you for listening.